Welcome into Words with Wallace. I'm your host, Nick Wallace. Coming at you, it is Monday, December 11th, just a few short days after the NBA's first in-season tournament championship. Now, guys, I know that we have discussed the in-season tournament ad nauseum here on this podcast, but let's face it. This is an NBA podcast, and we are talking about November and December regular season basketball. So what else are we really going to talk about if we are not discussing the conclusion of the first in-season tournament? Now, for what it's worth, I really enjoyed the event as a whole. Hopefully, you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. We did get some really exciting games to close out the playoff portion of this tournament. Of course, the Vegas portion as well. So we're actually going to go through and we're going to talk about all the different matchups in the semifinals. Uh, obviously, those two games, one being from the Western Conference, the other being from the Eastern Conference. We will break down both of those matchups as well as, of course, the championship matchup between the Los Angeles Lakers and the Indiana Pacers. Now, I would be remiss to not congratulate the Los Angeles Lakers for being the first NBA in-season tournament champions and hoisting the coveted NBA Cup. Uh, I heard there was some champagne that was popped in the Lakers locker room afterwards. Quite a large celebration. Heard they might be dropping another banner at Crypto.com Arena to celebrate and commemorate this end-season tournament victory. So don't worry, I will be chiming in with my thoughts on all that later in this episode. But we're actually in the midst of a really fantastic sports night as I sit here and record this. We have two different Monday night football games going on that I have a rooting interest in for the sake of my fantasy teams. We have about a, a 12 or 13 game NBA slate. So basically every team in the league is playing as I record this. Really, I should be over there on the couch getting dialed in on all the action going on. But I wanted to get the dedicated Words with Wallace listeners, an awesome episode about the NBA in-season tournament championship before we are too far removed from the event. So that is exactly what I'm going to be doing. That being said, out of all the games and all the sports being played, right now as I record this, there's one matchup in particular that I have been keeping a really close eye on that just wrapped up. And I think this matchup could be very impactful for years to come for one franchise in particular. Now again, a lot of games going on tonight. So what game am I talking about? I'm actually talking about the matchup between the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Orlando Magic. Now, as of a few minutes ago, this game actually just wrapped up with the Magic getting the win at home, 104-94. to Now, that's not a particularly terrible loss for the Cavaliers, right? The Magic have been more competitive than people thought. They're actually probably favored to win that game heading into the matchup. But I think this is going to be very, very impactful for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Now... This is because sources tell me here at Words with Wallace that J.B. Bickerstaff, head coach of the Cleveland Cavaliers, is on an extremely hot seat. So hot, in fact, that if the Cavs were to have lost a game about a week and a half ago to the Detroit Pistons, J.B. would have been fired and replaced by team assistant and special advisor Dave Yeager, previously head coach of the Sacramento Kings as well as the Memphis Grizzlies in past stints, has been an advisor to the team all season and has said that he would be the replacement for JB if they were to fire him. Now, maybe they're just saying that, hey, we really can't afford to be losing to the Pistons right now. Uh, they've lost like 20 consecutive games and really haven't won since October. I believe that still holds up. But that is not the point of this story. The point is that, yes, co head coach JB Bickerstaff is on an extremely hot seat. And this matchup could be the straw that breaks the camel's back. Now, that is just what sources tell me here at Words with Wallace. We will stay tuned in the coming days to see the news out of Cleveland. But again, would not be surprised if this is one of the final games that head coach J.B. Bickerstaff is coaching of the Cleveland Cavaliers. Now, that being said, the front office of the Cavaliers has their finger 
dangling above two red buttons. The first one fires J.B. Bickerstaff, and the second one might be even more impactful. Again, sources tell me here at Words with Wallace that the Cleveland Cavaliers have already engaged in trade talks surrounding Donovan Mitchell. Now, Donovan Mitchell is obviously a superstar player in all-NBA team selection last season, uh, having a, a pretty solid season by his standards, right, as far as his statistical profile goes. But he is only under contract through the remainder of this season, and I believe next season as well. He's probably eligible for a contract extension right now. And who knows if he actually wants to stay in Cleveland. Obviously, the Cavs have underperformed by their standards, right? Uh, they're a team that I was pretty high on heading into this season. I expected them to be finishing around the third seed in the Eastern Conference, and they've been well below that with this loss to the Magic tonight falling to 13-10. and 10. I believe they would be in the play-in tournament if the playoffs started today, so that's one thing to note as well. And the Cavs have a few teams that are actually already interested in Donovan Mitchell. Now, I'm sure in a vacuum there would be 20, 29 other teams that would love to have Donovan Mitchell uh, rep their jersey. But that being said, there have been two teams that have emerged from the pack as potential suitors for Donovan Mitchell. The first one being the Brooklyn Nets. The second team interested in the services of Donovan Mitchell, the Los Angeles Lakers. Obviously a team, again, coming off the NBA in-season tournament championship and a team with championship, real championship aspirations when June rolls around. So this could be very, very impactful. Now, again, there's we're far away from there being an actual deal in place and, and who knows where Donovan Mitchell ends up. But the fact that they're already engaging in trade talks and we are at the start of December here, it's still a few months away from the trade deadline. Again, Kobe Altman of the Cleveland Cavaliers has some massive decisions to make. And again, Sources tell me here, we got the Wallace fingers going. Sources tell me that, again, J.B. Bickerstaff on the hot seat, Donovan Mitchell already being in, shopped around in trade talks, and the two teams that are most interested in the services of Donovan Mitchell are the Brooklyn Nets and the Los Angeles Lakers. So, again, before we got to the in-season tournament talk, I had to drop a little Wallace bomb on you guys. Stay tuned to the news out of Cleveland. This could be very interesting moving forward. Now, I know it's hard to pivot off of that, but we're going to do just that. Power through and talk about the incredible semifinals matchups that we had in the NBA in-season tournament. Now, the first matchup that we're going to talk about is the Bucks versus the Pacers. Now, while I did pick the Bucks to beat the Pacers in this one, kind of enjoyed the fact that the Pacers won. There were some Bucks fans in my life that approached me, you know, made fun of my Celtics for losing to the Pacers, you know, said we're never going to have it together and be healthy at the right time, talking all this smack just for the Bucs to turn around and drop a game to the same exact team just a couple nights later. I will say the Bucks' loss is probably even worse than the Celtics' loss, considering, you know, the Celtics' loss to the Pacers in Indiana, where the, the Bucs lost to them on a neutral court, uh, and the Celtics were not at full strength, and the Bucs were, but hey, I'm just picking nits here. We both lost to the same team. Obviously, congrats to the Pacers for beating two of the top contenders in the Eastern Conference. This one was a really fun game, though. Honestly, it was a very similar game to that of the Celtics game. It was back and forth throughout, but it just felt like Indiana was pretty unrattled throughout, right? They played their pace, uh, get got their great shots consistently in transition. Another masterclass from Tyrese Halliburton in this semifinal matchup versus the Bucs, uh, putting up 27 points, 15 assists, and 7 boards with 0 turnovers. Milwaukee really had no answer for them, and that was kind of my biggest takeaway from the Bucs side of things is obviously Halliburton's a, a tough guy to slow down, but didn't really feel like they mixed up the coverage on him too much, and 
you know, Malik Beasley was their designated Halliburton stopper, which just kind of tells you that they might be a piece or two away uh, and might be pretty active at the trade deadline if they can bring in another defensive stopper. Granted, Jay Crowder has been out for them for, you know, quite a few games now. Maybe he would be that guy, but I don't know with his advanced age if he's going to be the one slowing down really dominant, uh, you know, threats and guards that, that the Bucks might face in the playoffs. So that being said, great game from the Pacers overall. Next semifinal matchup we have to talk about is, of course, the Pelicans versus the Los Angeles Lakers. Lakers eked out a close one. Not really, though. It was 133-89. to The Lakers moonwalked this victory over the Pelicans. Let me just say, my bad. My bad on that one. Uh, I did have the Pelicans as my eventual in-season tournament champions. Uh, that one went down in flames in, in about the second and third quarter. Uh, this one was over early on. So that was my bad on that. Part of the reason I was so bullish on the Pelicans is because they were, of course, able to eke out a close and competitive victory against the Sacramento Kings in the first in-season tournament playoff game, if you will. Um, and frankly, they they won despite a really bad performance from Zion, right? And so I'm sitting there thinking, man, they just got CJ back. They just got Trey Murphy back. Ho Jose Alvarado's back in the mix. And they got a really good win on the road against a tough Sacramento team without Zion playing his best basketball. That must mean that they're primed to win the whole thing. No, it did not did not go down like that. I actually should have looked at it as a red flag for Zion, considering he put up like basically like 15 points in back-to-back -back games and just looks terrible. Uh, should have recognized that that was actually a red flag and a sign of things to come, but... Hey, that's kind of why I got that one wrong, but no excuses here. Uh, the Lakers probably would have won either way, even with a great game from Zion. You know, he was awful in this one. Let's call it how it is. He finished the game with 13 points and two rebounds. Uh, he shot one of six at the free throw line, and he was a minus 33 when he was on the court for the Pelicans. Now, I have seen, you know, basically the entire NBA media landscape dunk all over Zion uh, over the past week or so, and I think it is mostly warranted, right? Like, it's hard to feel sympathetic for a guy that clearly cannot stay in shape, that cannot, you know, put in the effort required to stay healthy and out in the court and be a complete version of himself when he is a maximum contract player for a team that desperately needs a superstar of, of his stature, right? Um, he just looks like a shell of himself out there, right? He looks overweight. Um, it looks like he's not confident, right? He just, he kind of gets in the lane and then immediately kicks it out. He's looking to distribute a lot more than he should. I know you might look at that as a positive, but he's just kind of looks passive out there. Doesn't really know how he can get to his spots like he did just a few years ago. Um, the Pelicans are a really deep team. I've been saying that every single time I seem to talk about them on this podcast. And there have been crazy theories going around that they should you know, have Zion just remove himself from the team, just take time to focus on his body, focus on himself, you know, hopefully shed a few LBs and just, you know, get to the point where he's healthy and in shape. And I think that's a really great idea. And I think it would actually behoove the Pelicans to do that. Um, but sadly, it's just, that's just not how the NBA works, right? With the, what is it, the player participation policy, if that's a real thing, right? Zion still qualifies as a superstar player since he was an all-star last season. I can't ever see them just sending their superstar away from the team like that. That would be really embarrassing for Zion. It would be embarrassing for the team. It would be a difficult, you know, talk for those that did purchase season tickets from the Pelicans, right? So uh, all that being said, I don't really see him taking that absence from the team to get his body right. Uh, but I do think it would it would benefit them because, again, they have a lot of guys. I think they can maintain their spot in the Western Conference and stay competitive even without Zion. And they will never actually contend for anything in the Western Conference unless Zion is the same guy that we saw a few years ago. So kind of a sad situation there, especially when you look at the other end of the court in that particular matchup. And you see LeBron James, right? 
comparing anyone to LeBron is extremely unfair, but I do think that there are some elements of Zion's game that uh, would warrant those type of comparisons to LeBron. And it, and it really wasn't a comparison the other night, right? LeBron was flying around the court. He was playing bully ball. The three-point shot was falling for him, and he had a crazy heat check moment in the second and third quarters there. Um, he was fantastic throughout and got to 30 points for the Lakers in just 23 minutes. Uh, he looks he looks unbelievable. Like Again, that was kind of my big takeaway from watching the Lakers the past couple nights is just how damn good LeBron looks. Obviously, he gave more effort than what he would in a normal you know November and December matchup, right? But that being said, it's still so impressive that at his age, what he's able to do and proves that the Lakers are still a really tough team to beat. Let's move on to, of course, the championship matchup, Lakers versus Pelicans, and the Lakers were able to win this one 123-109. to Now, I think the first talking point of this game was just the defensive presence from the Lakers throughout. This was a total team effort that was spearheaded, mainly by one of the best Anthony Davis games we've ever seen in the NBA. Um, Halliburton was kept in check uh, most of the game. A lot of defensive pressures and a lot of traps from the Lakers defense throughout that was obviously their focal point on defense was keeping him in check and honestly this was this is kind of where I wanted to talk about one guy in the Lakers in particular Cam Reddish right he got the assignment of being the primary on-ball defender for Tyrese Halliburton in this one and he was extremely impressive and I just it wasn't necessarily his defense alone it was more of a, a team effort and a schematic thing that kept Halliburton in check but I did just want to take a few moments to talk about how cool I think the Cam Reddish story is now I am kind of a Duke fan, right? I don't associate myself with Duke that closely, but if I had to pick a college team, it would certainly be the Blue Devils. Cam Reddish was one of the top recruits in his class. I think he was a number three recruit behind uh, only Zion and RJ Barrett at that time, right? And so he was a part of a loaded class for Duke with really high expectations. He was, you know, again, one of the highest ranked players his entire life. He was known as a, a cold-blooded scorer, uh, somebody that was going to be a superstar in the NBA. And obviously it, it hasn't panned out, right? I believe he's playing on what? This is his fourth team in just, in, in just five seasons here. So uh, not great. He really couldn't get minutes on, on any of the teams and in consistent minutes, certainly not on any teams that were competitive. And now here he is, finds himself in this loaded Lakers roster that has championship aspirations, and he's taken on a complete new identity, right? He was known as a scorer, known as somebody that could get you a bucket at any time, and he has taken on the role as like the all-heart, all-hustle, all-defense type of guy. He's been their primary on-ball defender for the toughest matchups, especially with Jared Vanderbilt missing most of the early season games so far. He was just really awesome in this one, man. He had a couple clutch threes, a couple transition buckets, and I thought he played really outstanding defense for the most part on Tyrese Halliburton. Certainly a better effort than what we saw from Malik Beasley the, the game before. Uh, so shout out to Cam Reddish, man. Just really cool to see him get minutes. We'll see if he actually is able to maintain these minutes all the way through the season and all the way through the playoffs as well. I would like to remind you guys that Troy Brown Jr. did start many games the Lakers last year just for them to not end up even Troy Brown really wasn't even a part of their playoff rotation. So something just worth noting that who knows if these minutes will be meaningful uh, come playoff time, but who really cares, right? He's getting starts. He's getting, giving the Lakers really solid minutes so far. So wanted to shout that out, but really the highlight of this game was a masterclass from Anthony Davis. He put up 41 points, 20 rebounds, five assists and four blocks. Um, he just looked like physically so much bigger than everybody on Indiana, which is funny because they've actually gotten a really great season from Miles Turner so far as well. Um, this was just a dominant effort on both sides of the court. It was so hard for the Pacers to get anything going to the basket with Anthony Davis there. Just the amount of shots that he affected in addition to the four shots that he blocked on his own were absolutely insane. And another great game from LeBron as well. Obviously, he took home the NBA's 
first in-season tournament MVP award because it was not just based solely on the championship. If that was the case, then obviously Anthony Davis would have taken home that award. LeBron, I guess, has been going beast mode the entirety of these tournament games and basically averaged like 30 points a game throughout the entire tournament. So I guess he was very deserving of that. But he just dominated the Pacers with bully ball. I don't even think AD or LeBron had really any jump shots in this one. They just dominated around to the basket. They relied on guys like Austin Reeves to help out with the floor spacing and hit some outside shots to keep everything moving as a complete offense. And again, LeBron just looked unbelievably locked in. He created some really easy buckets for himself as well. And uh, Doc Rivers did a great job on the broadcast being all over this, that he's like, hey, I'm seeing LeBron cut a lot more this season than he ever has before. Seems like he's really trying to maximize the, the cheap baskets, if you will, that he can get just by running the floor and being bigger and stronger than virtually everybody else. It's just ridiculous, man. They did not have, like, he had Neesmith on him. It was immediate baby food. Every time he had that matchup, he would take him right into the post. Uh, even guys like Obi Toppin just bounce off of LeBron when he does have a full head of steam. Again, he's still one of the very best players in the league, maybe the best at getting to the basket at will. Just a really tough Lakers team to beat, right? And I think the impressive thing about the game as a whole was the fact that Indiana was kind of in this thing till really late in the game, despite the fact that they shot the ball terribly and they basically, you know, played Lakers ball the entirety of the game. You know, it was kind of like a yin and yang matchup going in with the Pacers high-powered offense and the Lakers high-powered defense. It felt like the Lakers were going to win basically the entire time because their defensive presence was felt. But then again, despite the fact that the, the Pacers were shooting 24% from three and 37% from the field, you know, it was like a two-point game with like six minutes left. So that is a really great testament to the Pacers, the fact that the outside shots were not falling, they weren't getting the looks that they wanted, and they still found a way to hang with this game. So who knows, maybe the Pacers really can make some noise in the Eastern Conference this year and, you know, gain some real momentum from this in-season tournament run. Uh, but again, I think it was well-deserved that it, it felt kind of dumb to not pick the Lakers right in hindsight when you see LeBron and Anthony Davis is locked in as they were. They were far and away the two best players on the court in that matchup, uh, and they very much deserved the championship win. I don't know if it really changes my outlook on the Lakers as a whole, right? I still think I took them very seriously, and I think that they are one of the few contenders coming out of the Western Conference. But like anything else, this is a war of attrition. Are they going to have LeBron and Anthony Davis healthy when it matters the most? Are they going to make a splash play at the trade deadline like we alluded to earlier that gets them another proven focal point to their half-court offense? Who knows, right? I do think that this shows the Lakers are legit when they are healthy, but I do think there's a lot of time between now and the end of June when the NBA Finals is ultimately determined. Now, I just kind of wanted to give my reaction to the Vegas portion of this tournament as a whole, right? Uh, while I understand the appeal of, of those final, you know, three games, if you will, being set in Las Vegas, I'm sure it was an awesome time for anybody from NBA media or just sports media as a whole that got to attend that event and had an excuse to kick it in Vegas for a few days. I'm sure that was awesome. But I will say I just kind of miss... I didn't like the neutral court atmosphere. That was just, again, I'm kind of picking nits here, but it kind of reminded me a little bit of the bubble and the, and the 2020 days that I did not want to reminisce on. Uh, I felt like part of the appeal for this NBA in-season tournament was just the fact that the home crowds were electric. You know, home crowds like Indiana and Sacramento really treated those atmospheres like playoff games. 
uh, even from the group stage play. Like you kind of felt that atmosphere uh, and, and felt how different those games were. So I didn't necessarily love the neutral court, but I can't complain about it too much because I'm sure it's just an excuse for them to have a basketball-centered event, kind of like a souped-up all-star game weekend, if you will. Now I know that the crowd for the championship started to get into it more because it was probably all Lakers fans in that building. And obviously, as Anthony Davis is putting together a, a 40 and 20 game and, and the stats keep compiling, the crowd got a little bit more activated late. But again, I felt like the energy was better from the gate in those games where a team just had home court. Now, I did see a lot of people on Twitter kind of making fun of the Lakers' reaction to winning the championship, right? The in-season tournament championship, there was champagne. They got all the players, immediately had them dressed up in the hats and the t-shirts and everything like that that said IST champions and all that good stuff. I felt like Anthony Davis did handle it well in the post-game presser, right? Obviously, all the sideline reporters were rushing to him because of the performance he had just put on. And he did make it clear from the gate. He's like, yeah, you know, it was a great win. And, you know, it's not the real thing. And we understand that. So he did kind of level set there. But then at the same time, you know, LeBron's just such a damn cornball, right? Like, he's popping the champagne, and he's yelling, and whatever. Like, I do want to see those guys have fun. Obviously, first and foremost, they just won half a million dollars for themselves and all their teammates in the locker room. Uh, Doc was also on this on the broadcast as well, talking about how he had never seen benches more engaged in, than what they were for that championship matchup. Because, again, you do have those bench players that, you know, could basically double their annual salary if they're able to win that $500,000. So, it was a really cool atmosphere as a whole. I just, I didn't like that the same there was the same process after winning the NBA finals as there was for the NBA cup right like do we need the hat and the t-shirt like can we just get them with the trophy like can we get them like a headband or something I don't know just a different piece of merch like out there um, that can represent a distinction between the finals and the in-season tournament uh, I don't even really like the idea of the banner being in the arena too at least for a team like the Lakers right like obviously they are probably the most iconic franchise in all of basketball. I will even admit that as a Celtics fan, right? It's obviously the Celtics and the Lakers as a 1A, 1B. Uh, but that being said, like, do you really need a banner to commemorate, you know, an in-season tournament championship when you have 17 real championships hanging in those rafters as well? Um, hope I, I guess I can really hold off judgment until I see physically what the IST banner looks like. I don't think it should be able to resemble the championship banner at all, but we will see. Again, I just want a little bit further distinction from the real thing. I know none of the fans are dumb enough to hold on to this in-season tournament and compare it to an NBA ring uh, or an NBA finals championship. But again, I just would like to see a little bit more distinction there. I don't need LeBron celebrating like he just got, you know, ring number five here. So uh, that was kind of my takeaway on that end of the court. Uh, moving on to the tournament as a whole, you know, I don't have a ton of nits to pick. Um, obviously I kind of went through a pros and cons list a couple weeks ago, still would like to see some changes at the court to make them, you know, less obnoxious. I think that would be, you know, a, a positive change for sure, but still to the point where you are able to immediately recognize that it's an in-season tournament game. I think that's an important distinction to make. Really my biggest nit of the whole thing is just more games in the group play, right? Something I kind of missed the mark on talking about right after it happened was that final night of NBA in-season tournament group play was absolutely insane, right? Part of the reason the Celtics even got into the to the final NBA in-season tournament playoffs was because they had the advantage of having one of the last games in their groups. So they knew exactly how bad they needed to beat the Bulls as far as to cover the point differential that they needed to make the tournament, right? Uh, there was just so many teams that were all like three and one that were trying to fight to get into the playoffs of this tournament that it just became really confusing. And part of the things that would help sort out that mess and have it come down to the point differential a little bit less is if you just have 
you know, six or seven group games instead of just four group games. You know what I'm saying? I feel like increasing that total number would just make it that there's less tiebreakers. And as much as it, I do like the idea of point differential being the primary tiebreaker in a situation like that, it's kind of a fun twist that normally does not apply at any point in basketball. Uh, I just think that it would be better suited if it wasn't all point differential. And that's kind of what it felt like. It felt like, you know, the teams that got in, you really weren't sure until the next morning. Uh, and I do want these teams who clearly care about this event to have a fair shot to get in and just have a little bit more group play uh, to separate themselves. So there's not, you know, five or six, three and one teams fighting for two different spots like there were on both sides of the bracket this past year. So that was really the big nit that I had to pick. Um, I think the NBA obviously did a fantastic job with it. And I am genuinely excited to see the changes that they make heading into next year. Obviously, the naming sponsor, so it's no longer being called the NBA in-season tournament. I'm sure it'll be like, you know, Amazon or Walmart or Apple or somebody's going to swoop in and, uh, you know, sponsor that tournament for next year so we won't have the same corny name. Uh, but I do think it's going to be a staple for, for the years to come. And nobody's happier with the outcome of this tournament than Adam Silver, right? Obviously, having possibly the most iconic NBA player alongside of Michael Jordan ever be the first in-season tournament MVP, as well as the most iconic franchise in the league win this thing. As much as I thought it was going to be a dumb team, like the Pacers or the Pelicans kind of swoop in and steal this award. Uh, it is really cool for the league that the Lakers won it because I'm sure they are going to get a lot more burn and a lot more attention than they would have if it was a smaller market team that ultimately hoisted the NBA cup. So with that, guys, that is my final thoughts on the NBA in-season tournament. We will get back to our regularly scheduled regular season content moving forward. Maybe we can do an NBA tier ranking. I haven't done that this season. Maybe that's something that can come on next week's episode. Or we can bring in another guest to do a deep dive on a different NBA franchise. But before I let you guys go, be sure to follow at Words with Wallace on everything. That includes YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you get your playlist. Be sure to follow at Words with Wallace and subscribe so you don't miss whenever I upload a new episode. And I will talk to you guys next week. Peace.